We gather today on Palm Sunday to see the rescuer enter Jerusalem, the servant of the Lord. Uh, for some reason, it looks like in the bulletin, we, we missed out on accident on the first half of the first verse of our sermon text, where this, where this person is revealed to be the servant. Let me just read that for you. Here, here's how Isaiah chapter 42 starts out. It says, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. This is God's word. Grace and peace are yours through our triumphant Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. He's here. The rescuing servant of the Lord enters Jerusalem to save this world and all of its people from death and destruction, from the power of Satan and sin. He comes in in an interesting way. Not on a horse, not, not stomping in in triumph, but on a colt, on a donkey. Because in some ways, it's almost like this is, this is a stealth mission. This is a rescue operation to come and rescue from the jaws of death God's people. God has been planning this for thousands of years, for a servant of the Lord to come. The, the prophets, we saw it in, in Isaiah chapter 42, that they've been leaking details about the rescuer to make sure that people could watch for him and be ready for him. What would this servant of the Lord be like? How would the people be rescued today and for the rest of this week, we're going to marvel at the, this rescuing servant. And today we'll see, who is he? What is his mission? And what's his strategy for accomplishing that mission? Who is this servant, this rescuing servant? Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. Isaiah chapter 42, these first verses are sometimes called one of the servant songs of Isaiah. There's four different times in the second half of the book of Isaiah where all of a sudden Isaiah bursts into this poetry where he's talking about a servant of the Lord who is going to come and he's going to do something special. So who is this servant? Well, if you look at the context, Isaiah actually names couple different servants. One of them is actually Israel itself. God says, you are my servant, a servant of the Lord. So could this servant be the nation of Israel, God's chosen people? God would also name some even more surprising people as, as his servants, as his special anointed ones for coming to do his will. He would actually name a conquering king by name who would come and be his very own servant to do exactly what God needed him to do. And in the book of Isaiah, he, he names him by name. It's a Persian king named Cyrus. And he wouldn't even show up onto the scene for 150 years. And Isaiah talks about this servant of the Lord coming and he's not even on the Lord's team, but God moves heaven and earth so that his will 
is done. Um, Isaiah, his people had not been yet taken into captivity in Babylon, but he prophesies that it's going to happen. And then he prophesies about this Cyrus who's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. But could he be the servant of the Lord? Could he be the conquering king that is talked about four different times specifically? These servant songs of Isaiah, who is it? So we look and let's just think about those verses. Here is my servant. He's like, he's declaring him. Here he is. Take a look at him. Here is the servant whom I uphold. This is someone that God establishes, makes firm, sets on the scene. My chosen one in whom I delight. I delight in him. With him I am well pleased. I will put my spirit on him. Are you starting to picture a scene in the New Testament? A time when God the Father from heaven calls out, This is my servant whom I delight in, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And he puts his spirit on him. And Jesus in his baptism at the beginning of his rescue operation, when God the Father calls out, This is my servant, this is my son. No one can rescue them, so God himself will enter the scene. That's the servant of the Lord. And we can be sure because the New Testament clearly identifies this section of Scripture as talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus just finishes teaching and healing, and he's actually telling people, you know, don't, it's not my time yet, don't speak of me. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, just like the servant of the Lord who's going to come and he's going to establish justice in this quiet, different way. <coughs> the servant of the Lord. Who is he? The New Testament identifies him as Jesus. When we hear the servant songs of Isaiah, when we talk about the servant who's going to come and rescue his people, it's Jesus. Now, what is his mission? My chosen one, the one I delight in, he will bring justice to the nations. He will finally bring justice to not just Israel, but to all nations. Now, what does it mean for the servant of the Lord to bring justice for the nations? Well, usually when I think about justice, I think about people getting what they deserve. And in the cosmic, biblical sense of the word, people getting what they deserve, I don't want that. I don't want the servant of the Lord to come and bring God's justice because at the heart of it, what I deserve and what every person in this world deserves is exile from God and his loving presence, separation from him, eternal death in hell. That's what we deserve on our own. So what kind of justice is he going to bring? The people on that Palm Sunday cried out because they saw they saw Jesus and they knew there was something special and they called out, "Hosanna, Lord, save us." That's what Hosanna means, save us. But what were they looking for salvation from? I wonder. From from death and hell and their sins, maybe some. Surely not all. Perhaps they were looking for a more superficial kind of, of what they thought was going to be justice. 
God, give us justice for our, our oppression and our persecution. And here we are still in the grip of the Roman army. We're not our own nation yet. Give us this justice that the servant of the Lord is supposed to give. But they were looking for a rescue that was much smaller than what God had planned. For us to be rescued from sin and death and hell, we needed a better kind of cosmic justice brought into this world. That's the mission of the servant of the Lord, to bring justice for the nations. But how? How will he do it? What is God's strategy? What is Jesus doing as he walks in on a colt, the full of a donkey? He will bring justice to the nations, and how? He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. How the servant of the Lord accomplishes justice in this world is different how the wor- than how the world typically tries to accomplish justice. Isn't it? If we want to have our rights respected when they're being overlooked, then we have to say something about it. Then we have to cry out so that we can be heard. Otherwise, we're going to continue to be stepped on and overlooked. If, if a conquering army is going to come in, they're not going to do it in a stealthy way. They're going to, they're going to come in and they're going to proclaim their dominance, their conquering power, and yet Jesus... The king comes into Jerusalem with this kind of an attitude, one that does not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Isaiah predicts a humble servant who's going to bring justice, but in a different way, in a quiet way. Instead of an outward show of might, crushing anyone who would stand in his way, he takes these these bruised reeds, that's the picture, and instead he... He builds them up and encourages them and doesn't break them out. A smoldering wick that's just filling the air with smoke. He doesn't come and put it out. That's not the kind of savior we have. He's going to rescue without breaking, crushing, snuffing out, rioting, fighting, or assembling an army. And that kind of looks like it's not going to work. Because that's not the way that we would typically try to find justice. In business, we might look for the weaknesses of our competitors so that we can, we can crush them and we can exploit them and that we can uh, try and be much more desirable than they are. But we don't just do that in business. We sadly do that in our close relationships with other people, too trying to get control, our own version of justice in our personal relationships, perhaps by trying to establish our own power or control or breaking down the opposition. Anybody have family members at home who sometimes try to get their way by throwing a temper tantrum? (laughs) You know, and, and if it works over and over, that if I can scream and kick and get my way, then... You're going to keep on using a tactic like that. 
Sadly, some of us grow up and we keep on doing adult versions of that too, where I'm going to pout or mope or yell or get angry or flex my, my power to get what I want from other people. And if that works consistently, wow, that can be a hard habit to break too. Yelling, threatening, storming out. Jesus did not break the bruised reed, yet if you're in a close relationship with somebody for long enough, you know right how to snap them. You start to know where they're weak. You know the one thing that you can say that is just going to cut right to the heart, the one look that you can give. And sometimes, in our sinfulness, we do it. And if we don't do it, surely think about doing it. Establishing not justice, but power and control. Pushing and fighting to get what we want instead of lowering ourselves to serve others to give them what they need. But I want, but I want, how can I serve you? That's what Jesus asked and would ask. And sometimes we can even transfer that into our spiritual life, demanding justice from God by yelling, fighting, but it won't work. But we do it as we turn away from God and say, I don't deserve this. What did I do to deserve this? We get angry with God when things aren't going how we want in our lives. Thank God that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't give us justice as much as we may say, why aren't you being fair with me? He's not, and that is awfully good for us. If we wanted God to absolutely be fair with us, he would have to send in his servant to destroy and conquer and send us away because we haven't been faithful to him. That's not what the servant does. The servant could have come into Jerusalem and and come up to Jerusalem this week with an army of angels along with him to come and fight, and it wouldn't even be close. Jesus could have come in power as the victorious king that day and, and pushed out all of his opposers. He could have come down from the cross and demanded his clothing back that the soldiers had cast lots for, but he doesn't. He doesn't carry out his revenge. Instead, Jesus enters Jerusalem on Holy Week so that he can, in a completely different way, carry out justice. His rescue strategy was not violent or loud or powerful. And maybe that makes a little bit of sense. He's not coming to conquer. He's coming to rescue. Today... He allows a little bit of yelling in the street. As the people cheer, Hosanna, save us. And we know that days later that's going to change too. The yelling in the street will be crucify him. And he would let them. Because this is the mission and the strategy of the servant of the Lord. It says he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. The servant comes up again three more times, most beautifully, in Isaiah chapter 53, where it says this servant, the suffering servant, was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He doesn't cry out. He goes to his death. 
Verses 3 and 4 here say, In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. He comes to establish justice, and if I was in his place, I would be extremely discouraged as his friends run away from him, as as the people who should be supporting him leave him, as the people he came to save shout crucify him. So what is this justice that he's coming to bring? How will he accomplish it? It's not social justice. He's not coming to establish equality among people. He's not here to tax the rich and provide for the poor or heal the sick. That kind of justice could be helpful, but only in the short term. The justice that the servant of the Lord is bringing is a just verdict from the judge of all the universe. The judge, the one who has every right to say guilty, guilty, guilty of every single person on this earth, deserving of death, deserving of death, deserving of death, to us who, like sheep, had gone astray, each of us had turned to their own way, we deserved punishment, but God did not snap the bruised reed and he does not snuff out the smoldering wick. Instead, the servant of the Lord allows a whip to snap on his shoulders to feel the bruises of a soldier's beating and to have his life snuffed out on the cross in place of mine and yours because this is what God said of the servant, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is what the servant came to do to bring justice. And the only way God could both bring justice and punish sin and let us live was for him to punish his son instead of us. That's what the servant would do. It was the Lord's will, instead of crushing you, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him And by his wounds, you are healed. The beloved servant of the Lord, the one chosen by God, the one filled with the Spirit, is filled with our sins. Yes, the sins of the entire world, so that in his body, those sins could be punished with hell on the cross by the Father. So that in justice, he could look and say, you are innocent. Those sins have been punished. Every single one. You and all nations can put your hope in him and in this true teaching from God's word. So how does the rescuing servant of the Lord make a difference in your life? Are you feeling bruised, broken, ready to snap? Jesus won't break you. He won't give up on you. He's not going to rub it in when it hurts. He establishes and supports you. Do you sometimes just feel like a, a smoldering lamp that's just nothing but, nothing but smoke and no oil, no fuel to get up and put in another try, another day? Jesus won't snuff you out. He cares about you and he refreshes you with his word and his holy supper.
Does it feel like life is out of your control much of the time? That's okay. (laughs) Because there's no need for you to stand in the street and yell or fight for your rights or control anymore because you have the rights of a child of God and a citizen of heaven. So now that all your needs are met, met by Jesus, you can redirect yourself to focus on serving others. Are you weighed down with guilt? The servant of the Lord, the Lamb of God, took your guilt to the cross, so your sin is forgiven. Does death feel nearer than ever as health complications keep on coming up? Jesus would conquer death and did conquer death at the cross and at the empty tomb. You too have been chosen. You too have been filled with the Spirit. We got, we got to see that in baptism today as the Holy Spirit made another child of the Father in heaven. You are a servant of God. Not, not the servant of the Lord, but a servant of the Lord. And God delights in you. So we can join with the crowd on Palm Sunday and cry out, Hosanna, save us. Because he will. And he has. Amen.